Let us stand together for the reading of God's word. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. And let's read that all together. I'll use the, the reading from the Pew Bibles there. Let's read all four verses together. Begin the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I'll read that in the Solomon language, and as I'm reading it, <clears throat> you might be able to identify some of the words that you just read. Oops, do we, oh, I have to go back, excuse me. One more, thank you. O upu a neemia le atalii o hakalia, o le lua os fulo tausanga, o le masina o kiselu, na o isusana ile maota. O na o o mailea o hanani, o le tasi o uso, o ia manista ngata maiuta. O na o fesili atu ailea yate ilato, pe fa pe fea sa yuta, asao o e na tutoe o le tafeanga. Ilimai Jerusalem. Ona fa pea mai leo ilato yateao. O e to toy o e na to toy o letafeanga. O yaeli to malo. Wotel le pupuanga. Malenganga wina o ilato. Uoso loya fo ilepa o Jerusalem. Ma uamu on a puipui leafi. Uo fa long o eo. Ona o no fo ilea ilalo. Ma o tangi, ma fa anoa noa inisiaso, ma anapongi, ma tatalu iluma le atua o le langi. Ia fa umanuia le atua, le faitawina o le afiongupaia le atua. May God bless the reading of his word. Just before we're seated here, anybody recognize any of the words up there? I won't even send around the microphone, we don't have to record it. Anybody recognize any word up there? because we just read it in English. Yes. Jerusalem, you see Jerusalem there, Jerusalem. Any other words? Atua, what is Atua? God, there you go, good. So you start to see, of course the names we recognize, Nehemiah, most of the names would be transliterate, transliterated. Mao Tangi, and I wept. Mafa Noa Noa, and was deeply saddened in Isiaso. Yeah, so that's just another opportunity. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Before we have our message, Amy's going to come. She was willing to sing my favorite Samoan hymn of all time. There is not an English equivalent to it. Okay, which one do you have? Let me see.
church singing that and all the different parts and the echoes. It's just my very favorite of all the hymns. If you would look in your Bibles again over at Nehemiah chapter 1. I had seven points and I reduced it to five. And I know there's much more to share about the Samoan people and the, the lands of Samoa, the work God has blessed us to be involved in there. And so I don't want to do a full message, but we certainly don't want to gather and not be under the hearing of God's word. And so I look at Nehemiah. Truly, I love Nehemiah. I mean, I love the man. I, I love the book. I speak of both of them. My two, I guess, favorite books of the Old Testament would be Joshua and Nehemiah. These very narrative books that tell much about how God worked in those situations. You do understand that Ezra and Nehemiah actually were coupled together. Uh, they, they go together. They tell the story of terms we would be familiar with, the, the remnant, those who were left. It speaks of the Jews who were in exile. And uh, when they were in exile, they were scattered in different places. They had been taken captive. And then opportunities occurred for them to be able to go back to Jerusalem. So Ezra and Nehemiah go together where we hear of Zerubbabel, who was given permission uh, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And then in that uh, book of Ezra, you find Zerubbabel goes, and then after him, there's a 60-year gap between. Then Ezra goes back and starts to restore teaching of the Torah and things like that. And then after him, Nehemiah goes back 
to rebuild the wall. And that's kind of the background. Now, they're interesting books when you couple them together because there are these parallels throughout. In each of those three cases, they're supported by a foreign king and given permission to go, and they're helped with resources and even protection in some cases to go, to go back and do something. And there are these great things that happen, and then there's this anticlimax. Something in all three of the cases, something happens uh, there. So it's interesting when you look at it, but particularly I love Ezra, I, I love Nehemiah because written in the first person and tells the account of someone who was in this incredible setting with his high position as the king's cupbearer. He, he had it all, like so many of the Jewish people are scattered to different lands through, throughout history, and they rise to a place of prominence in that land, and then he got a burden and went on a mission. And so I just love to see that story. So we pick up in in Nehemiah chapter 1, about 440 years or so before the time of Christ. You know, missions, we heard it on Sunday, and I want to repeat it, missions is not just an event. It's not just a month. It's not just a conference. It's not something that we just do once in a while. Every person, once they've been born again, is to either be a missionary Christian or a Christian missionary. Now I'm coining those phrases, and others have. When I talk about a Christian missionary, I mean somebody who's a missionary, and in the technical sense of the word, someone who goes as a Christian missionary to another land, to another place, to reach people. There's a sense of them going out. But we also need missionary Christians. I mean, there are other kind of missionaries. There are non-Christian missionaries in the Samoan Islands. The fastest growing church, and they have tons of missionaries all over, is the Mormon church. But I cannot call them Christian missionaries. They're not going with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once a person is born again, They need to either be a Christian missionary surrendering to go to the mission field. Oh, to God, that Faith Baptist Church would produce more people who have a very particular missionary calling. We're all to be on mission, but would have a particular call. Oh, that through the youth program and through the church, there would be people to say, I'm willing to leave it all, give it all up. Video games don't have a hold on me. American culture doesn't have a hold on me. Christ has a hold on me. And I would give my, my every breath to go wherever God would send me. Now, tonight we'll focus just on one little field of Samo, but we could take every field. We can have Miss Thangaraj come up and share about her field. We could have Miss Faith there share about the Philippines. And we have so many fields here in our church. We need Christian missionaries. And if we're a missions-minded church, it ought to be one of our prayers. Oh, Lord, let it be from here that we have them. We also need missionary Christians. You see, it won't really be likely to happen from our midst if this church isn't filled with, of course, I'm coining phrases, they're imperfect, but 
missionary Christians. Christians who have in their mind, my mission as part of the Great Commission is to reach the lost all around me, but it's also through the local church to be connected to the extension to the uttermost parts of the earth of this. And so with that, I just want to go quickly into some things I see in Nehemiah that would be essential for the Christian missionary and the missionary Christians. Let's start with the first one. You see it in your outlined, an attentive ear. And in verse 2 it says, He and certain men of Judah, uh, uh, then Hanani, one of my brethren, came he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning Judah. I asked. You might even want to underline that in your Bible. I asked. To have an attentive ear. If you read his magnificent prayer from verse 5 to verse 11, you're going to find that when he prays to God, he says, let your ear be attentive. He says it both in verse 5 in the beginning of his prayer and in verse 11 at the end of his prayer that he asks God, let your ear now be attentive to this need that I'm presenting before you. And we'll get to that in a second. But he asked with an attentive ear. How you doing? I'm fine. Good. How you doing? I'm well, but I've been having problems sleeping. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Let me tell you about what I'm doing. When you meet someone like that and they just ask how you're doing and they really don't want to know, can I tell you as someone who's been a missionary for many years and gone to many churches that most churches are like that. They have a little bit of curiosity and that's about it. They'll ask something and you're coming off the field overflowing with things to share, difficult things, wonderful things that God has done and they want a sound bite. So I thank our pastor for saying, let's take a whole service and dedicate it not only to preaching the word, but to just focusing in on one one field and to have a people who would ask with an attentive ear. I'm asking because I genuinely want to know. That cannot be manufactured. We have to have a church that's filled with missionary-minded Christians. You could put prayer letters in a rack out there and keep copying them and say, let's put the prayer letter rack in a more prominent place and let's put it up on a video screen and let's do this and that. If we don't have a church full of people with a heart for missions and who are asking, wanting information more than just a little sound bite. See, when Nehemiah asked, he asked wanting to hear with an open ear. It wasn't a perfunctory thing. It wasn't some type of social grace. It wasn't some type of formality. We know that because we know where the rest of the book goes. Every one of us are born in total selfishness. And as we grow, and especially as we come to salvation and grow in Christ, we're supposed to be going from total selfishness, becoming more and more like Christ, to total selflessness. And I tell you what, missionary-minded people ask and they want to hear. It's an honor to be one of the newest members of the missions committee here at the church who want to know how missionaries are doing, what they're going through. Let it be every one of us. Number two, I have to move for the sake of time. He not only had an attentive ear, 
he had a burdened heart. When he heard the condition they were in, verse 3, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. I think it said shame in the other. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So he asked and they answered. And they didn't just give him some little shallow answer. Oh, things are great. How you doing? Fine. How are things in Jerusalem? Ah, they're managing. All right. They gave him the report, and it was a sad report. It was devastating for uh, Nehemiah to hear that the city of David, that God's city, where the temple had been rebuilt and where uh, there was worship and study of the Torah that was being reinstituted, that uh, a temple was rebuilt and a people were being rebuilt. But in that great marvelous city of God, it was totally vulnerable without walls. See, in that day and age, that was their security system. And so to have a city, the great city of David, the city of God on earth, to be in that condition was a reproach to God and it was a reproach to God's people. And to think of the rubble that was there, the gates burned with fire, and the walls knocked down, breached, and crumbled. And that moved him. I sat down and I wept and mourned certain days, and I fasted and I prayed. Every missionary who comes wants to find a way to share the burden. God had put a burden in my heart. I fell in love with the Samoan person before I fell in love with the Samoan people. And then he put a burden in my heart. It's how the second church plant started. Shortly after I got saved, Emmy and I took a trip over there, and it broke my heart to see the condition, so much so that we began praying, even while we were engaged in the work of the first church. We're praying that someday the village of Asau would open, because it was a closed village. There was a burden. Both the missionary Christian and the Christian missionary must also have number three, bended knees. And at the end of verse four, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then you see that prayer. In fact, if you read the book of Nehemiah all throughout, he just keeps praying. Every time something comes up, he's praying. Chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4, uh, in the face of conspiracy. Again, later in chapter 4, in chapter 5, 19, in chapter 6, and in, in both verses 9 and 14, you see Nehemiah in every season, in every situation, just constantly going back and praying. Missionary Christians and Christian missionaries coined in perfect phrases that we're using tonight. Both must have bended knees, to be in prayer, to keep focused and keep praying and praying, as the Bible says, without ceasing. I have number four and five here. Let me touch on those quickly. Something else the, the Christian missionary very much needs is a controlled tongue. You see, in chapter 2, when Nehemiah went on his survey trip and he went to spy out the land and look at what was going on and he knew he was going into hostile territory, he says that I told nobody what God had put in my heart to do. I just went and I looked and saw things and he held back until it was time to speak. 
For years, Emmy and I could never share with anybody in the Solomon Islands what God had put in our heart. Because if word had gotten out that we were trying to find a way to get the chiefs to allow us to have a church in that village, all kinds of walls and barriers would be put up. In fact, by the time we strategically chose to share what our intentions were, it would still take 18 more months before the chiefs would open up. And so for missionaries going out, the control of their tongue. One thing always bothered me when a new person would come on a short-term mission trip or something like that, and all of a sudden they were sociologists who would be there for one day and have the culture figured out and the people figured out and how they could come and improve these things. And I would always just counsel them, the best counsel I can give you as a missionary who's been doing this for a while is zip the lip. You should expect to spend about two years here before you even say little things out loud. There is so much to, to learn about the culture, and we'll talk about that in a couple minutes, so I won't say that more, but to know when to speak and when not to speak. And then finally, Christian missionary has an unbending backbone, and we'll finish with that. You can go a lot deeper into all of these topics, but time doesn't allow me to do that. But I love Nehemiah because he got on that wall and he wouldn't come down. If you remember the story of the three enemies who kept coming against him and against God's people as they were building the wall and securing the city and Sanballat and Tobias and Geshem were coming after and coming after him again and again. And by chapter 6, only 52 days later, when that wall would get finished, they tried to get him to come down. They tried every trick in the book. They conspired against him. They tried to entice him. They said, be reasonable, come and talk to us. And he said, I cannot come down. I do a great work for God, so I cannot come down. And if every Christian missionary and every missionary Christian would say, I need bended knees, but I need an unbending backbone. Until Christ returns, until he takes us home, we're on mission in our neighborhood and to the uttermost parts of the globe. And if we're going to be a missions-minded and a missions-hearted church, we're going to have to stand straight no matter how crooked this world gets. And we're going to face opposition. It's likely to keep increasing. But we're going to be counter-cultural because we are Christ's. And so I pray that just those brief reflections would be a help to all of us this evening. May we all grow as either Christian missionaries or missionary Christians in the sense we spoke of tonight. And now what I'd like to do for the rest of our time is expose some things about the field.